Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Was it really, like, 15 minutes of just, like, pull slide, or is that a slight exaggeration? Slight, but no, I was I was in there a long time, certainly 10 minutes. I mean, I was taking it out, but I was... My mind was whizzing, how else could I solve this? How else could I solve this than the reality that's in front of me, and I can't get away? So my mind was whizzing from the deed at hand, as well as trying to find solutions that were not available to me. Drabblecast Director's Cut Special. The Worm Within. Drabblecast Director's Cut Specials are a regular monthly feature here on the Drabblecast, where we rerun a notable DC story from the archives, uncut as part one, and as part two, we replay the episode with bonus author commentary. I chat with the author about the story, the process, production, get to know them and the story on a whole new level. These episodes are divided up into two chapters for you to be able to skip between the uncut story version and the version with commentary with ease. This story takes us back way into the archives, all the way back to episode 25 in August of 2007. This is Drabblecast without all the bells, whistles, and polish yet. But regardless, this story wound up making waves because, well, let's just say it's one that stays with you deep inside for a while. Hope you enjoy. So make yourself a plate of linguine and get comfy. Without further ado, The Worm Within by Vincent Eaton. When I go to the bathroom, I usually expect it to be a non-event. After so many years, there are few surprises left for me sitting on a toilet. Yet, it was there where I first discovered an uninvited entity that wanted to call me home. I had finished doing what we all do at the toilet, and stood, turned, and looked down. But first, a few research results regarding human behavior and waste products. You see, for some people, everything that occurs at the toilet bowl requires denying. There are those who, after avoiding their bowels, scamper from the toilet to a corner of the bathroom and kneel to pray. Forgive me my sins, O Lord. I try to keep it away from your eyes. I do try not to do it, but I can't help it. Then there's the opposite type who actually bend down to study the stuff like a gypsy interpreting tea leaves. Honey, I don't think we should go to the Remingtons for dinner tonight. According to what I see in the toilet bowl, the signs are not favorable. Then there's the third type, like me who stand casually and almost like a cat turn around to look down and make sure. And there it is. Yep. Shit. I'm nothing if not consistent. But this time, looking down, something caught my attention. Among the customary residue, there was a bright, clean, white thing down there. I looked more carefully, becoming a typical tea-leaf-type personality. Strange. I had never seen this before. Should I be concerned? Open the bathroom door and invite someone in for a second opinion? And then it hit me. Of course. I had eaten some spaghetti the evening before. This is probably just a little undigested bit that somehow got through. I flushed. Two days later, the usual toilet routine. Sit, let her fly, liberal toilet paper usage, stand, trousers up, turn, about to flush. Shit. There it is again, that little white thing. I quickly reviewed the meals I'd consumed recently, and I didn't remember eating any pasta for days. I was going to assume this was a freakish thing and flushed the toilet, breezed along with my life, 
until a couple of days later, there it was again. The albino king sitting on top of his soft brown throne. Now it was time to call my doctor and scream help really loud. This being Belgium, my place of residence, I made appropriate weird sounds in my crummy French, describing how some albino visitor had developed the habit of showing up unexpectedly every couple of days in my toilet bowl to say hi. Once seated in my doctor's office, I explained how these bits were thin and white, but how I felt fine otherwise. My doctor sported a nice little trimmed goatee, and as I finished my story, he chuckled. Little contented muffled sounds. I waited patiently, bitterly. Monsieur, he finally said, after he'd had his fun. Ce n'est pas grave. Je pense que vous avez un ver solitaire. I had a ver solitaire? What was that in real English? A solitary worm? A lonely worm? A worm that kept to itself? A moody worm? My kind of worm? An individualistic worm that had taken up residence in my intestines? A worm of character? Uh, the English term suddenly snapped into my head. You mean I've got a... There's a pa parasite? A living thing? In me? I placed my hands on my tummy like a pregnant woman. I stood. A tapeworm? I climbed onto the chair as though escaping a mouse, gripping my guts, fingers scraping at my navel. There was more me living in me than just me. An existence. A thing I did not want. Didn't want. No want. I wanted... I wanted my mommy. The doctor, no longer chuckling, asked me to please sit down so he could tell me how to get rid of it. I came crashing down to sit on the chair, blathering. How do I kill it? What's it take, Doc? Where's the bullet? Give me a pill. Do tricks. Make it go away. I was leaning forward, my nails scribbling on his desk. Some sort of living thing inside was eating with me, sleeping with me, sharing my childhood traumas without my permission, and was with me during those intimate moments when I achieved orgasms, with or without a partner. How embarrassing. The doctor educated me. Broadly speaking, there were two types of tapeworms that could be my roommate. There was your basic pork tapeworm and your basic beef tapeworm. Eat some not-so-cooked pork or beef and you could get some eggs inside you that your warm, moist innards would nurture and hatch. For the pork parasite, only a few meters of intestine were required. However, your beef tapeworm was an altogether mightier alien. The beef worm could grow more than just a few meters. It would keep adding to its body, lengthening and snaking throughout the miles of intestine, and I have it on good authority that with the small and large intestines combined, it could reach the moon, loop it twice, and then come all the way back down to Earth, and you'd still have enough left over to play jump rope with. This beef tapeworm would fill all this out until it eventually ran out of intestine and would pop out saying, Whoa, air, <laughs> can't go out there. My beef-based houseguest had grown so big, so happy, so healthy, had filled me up so much that it now had to drop little hello bits of itself in the toilet bowl every few days just to let me know how things were going. Diagnosis? I was pregnant with a parasite that had started its life going moo. I thought hard how I could have become so impregnated. Oh, yeah. It dawned. When I first came to Belgium, way back when, I had sat in a restaurant looking at a menu in French and Flemish, neither of which was very enlightening to my basic English. I spotted something on the menu that read, Filet Américain. I was American. It said, Filet, this was made for me. I assumed it had to be a hamburger or, or a steak. I didn't want to reveal myself as a typical American abroad and demand explanations in slow, half-shouted English. I was a hopeful sophisticate. I ordered my filet, sat back, and waited to be served something recognizable with a little American flag stuck in it. They returned with a platter of raw hamburger. An equally raw egg lay in the mini crevice they had pushed into the top of the mound. They showed it to me. I thought, uh, this is special, as though this lump of meat was some exotic fresh fish or an expensive piece of sirloin they were displaying to me before cooking. I nodded, thinking 
Great, go cook it, put it in a bun, bury it in ketchup and yellow mustard and onions, and bring it back. Instead, my nod was taken as agreement, and they placed the dish in front of me and departed. I looked from my plate at the retreating back of the waiter, back to my plate of raw meat, raw egg, mayonnaise, garnish, some french fries. What lay before me was a good start, not a finished meal. I glanced around at fellow diners to see if they were staring in horror at me, but no. In fact, some guy two tables over actually had the same thing and was mixing it all together in his dish and then putting forkfuls of the stuff in his mouth. This seemed to be a typical Belgian dish. Be cool, when in Rome. So I squished the meat and egg together, stirred the mayonnaise in there, mixed in some raw onions, added salt, pepper, sat back, gathered courage, put some on the edge of my fork, slid it between my teeth, slid it out clean. Let my tongue judge. Amazingly, it wasn't disgusting. So I took another forkful, tasted, judged, and in went another. I ate, and ate it all, and ordered it on several occasions thereafter, one of which, probably, wasn't as moo fresh as could be hoped, and hence the birth story of my beef tapeworm. Okay, Doc, thanks for the lesson, but how do I get rid of it? I was already entertaining dramatic fantasies. I visualized the tapeworm securely hooked at the bottom of my throat, using the spiny little stabbing things they had, its mouth ajar, and every time I ate, it ate. I drank, it swallowed. When I got caught in the rain, it stayed dry. I imagined starving it out. Not eat for two, three, four days. Then I would get a piece of raw steak, open my mouth and dangle it just in front of my lips. The tapeworm, famished, would smell it, crawl up, peek out, see the meat, and, starved and of course unable to control its hunger, lunge out with its mouth open, and just as it was about to snatch the morsel of meat from my fingers, my teeth would snap shut like a mini guillotine, and wham, a beheaded tapeworm. Except my doctor said it would be much easier than that. He handed me a prescription for one single pill. Take it in the morning on an empty stomach. This pill would kill the head of the beast, which needed doing since if the head wasn't killed, the tapeworm would continue growing and flourishing, and possibly with time, make menu demands. I headed directly to the pharmacist, purchased the pill, took it home, created an altar, placed it there, and worshipped it for 45 minutes as the answer to all my dreams and prayers. Oh, mighty pill, death to the demon residing within. Next morning, I popped out of bed, got myself a glass of water, removed the pill from its altar cushion, placed it on my tongue, closed my eyes, swallowed, declaring, Take that, monster of the deep, you never-ending strand of unspooled spaghetti. I smacked my lips together twice in double delight and thought that was that. It wasn't. About an hour or so later, I felt an imperceptible movement within me. Cautiously, I sat and waited. There it came again. Something moved, squirmed, inside me, down there. I sat very still, as though listening to echoes in a canyon, or noises in a dark forest. Nothing. Nothing. There it was again! There was a shifting around inside me. Then there was a more sudden, thrashing movement within, and that's when I realized, that's when I knew... My tapeworm was going through its death throes. It squirmed and twisted, spasming. Why didn't the doctor tell me about this part? The bastard! And my guts cramped and churned, and this went on for five, ten minutes, until just as suddenly, it subsided, ceased. It was over. My tapeworm was at peace. I celebrated by going to lunch at a restaurant and ordering a large mixed salad something inert that had never breathed or mooed or snorted or had a face. I was famished after the slaying of the dragon within and eager to eat for just one again. I consumed my meal with gusto. Life was good when parasites were gone. Before ordering dessert, I detected that gentle pressure of my bowels demanding relief. So I patted my mouth with my napkin, moved my plate aside, got up, asked directions to the toilet, and went happy as a lark. 
Once behind a locked cubicle, trousers down in position, I relaxed and thought pure thoughts. Upon completion, I leaned over, gathered some toilet paper, reached down under in order to wipe myself clean as usual, but for the first time in my life, when I wiped, not everything wiped away. Something remained. Dangling. I sat up, ramrod straight, utterly immobile, my brain flying. I hadn't thought further than swallowing the kill pill and then living my life. I assumed my intestines would just magically absorb the monster and, hey, presto, that would be it. I hadn't thought. With immense dread, I reached over and got some more toilet paper, folded it over, and just to be on the safe side, I pulled yet more toilet paper from the dispenser and created a pile of tissues. Then, cautiously, like descending into a dangerous lair, I reached down, went under, found me, wiped me, grabbed the dangling entity, pulled, and something long slithered out, giving a distinctly zigzagging back-and-forth sensation within my intestines. This could not be happening. This was not I. This was not my life. I began panting, all alone in a locked cubicle in a half-decent restaurant with a dead tapeworm hanging out of my ass. Where was the doctor? Where was some good advice about what to do next? Where the hell was my mother to kiss it and make it all better? Once I had calmed my heartbeat down to an acceptable 2,000 a minute, I understood just how fully alone on this mission I was. There was nothing I could do but to get great gobs of toilet paper securely wrapped around my hand, swallow hard, again reach down, again get a grip on the thin and slippery thing, and tug. Again that slithering feeling deep within. I pulled, and pulled again, and it kept a-coming. I dropped the tissue and sat back. Jesus, how long was this sucker? I remember the doctor's brief education on this. The length of this thing could loop the moon twice, or something-y pretty damn close to that. I calmed the trembling of my hands. More toilet paper. Reached down, got a grip, pulled it, and the slide. Pull, slide, pull, slide. I got into a rhythm like someone on a chain gang. Pull, slide, condemned to break rocks and smooth, repetitious movements. No whack crack, just pull, slide. I started moaning an old Negro spiritual, pulling and sliding endlessly. Oh, Lord, bring me home. Settle me on the bosom of my old ma. Five minutes of this, ten, maybe fifteen. It was never ending. Finally, I let go. Nearly screaming, I bit my hand, rolled my eyes. I had a breakdown. I thought about jumping up and running, shouting from the toilet stall. I can't take it anymore. I just can't take it. I had an image of my rushing through the main hall of the restaurant and out into the sidewalk and down the street with this long, flowing, undulating, thin, white membrane snaking and snapping behind me, getting caught in pedestrians' feet, having dogs and cats chasing it as if it were some sort of plaything. So I kept sitting, almost sobbing. The routine reinstated itself. Toilet paper, stifling sobs, reaching down, pulling it out, hand over hand, the zigzag feeling deep in my guts. Thinking about grocery lists, wondering about the meaning of life, pulling and lip trembling and knowing I had killed it without thinking, never even given the tapeworm a name or taught it to do tricks, and that there might just be an ancient curse connected with it, kill the parasite and forever pull it out of your ass till the gods were appeased. Th then suddenly, I reached down, and there was nothing there. Nothing dangling, nothing hanging, just air, void. Frantically, my hands searched left, right, and center. Nothing. I leapt up straight into the air, spun around, and nothing spun around with me. I ended my spinning, facing the toilet bowl. Slowly, cautiously, I moved my face toward its opening, wary that it still might have the spark of life in it, and it might leap from my throat when it saw my face.
there it lay within, twisted around in all sorts of swirls and crisscrosses, resembling limp, uncooked linguine. There was also a hell of a lot of toilet paper in there. My tapeworm did not pant, did not throb, did not shake or tremble. It lay tangled in itself, seemingly harmless, and I had a momentary urge of scientific inquiry, wondering whether I should scoop it out with my bare hands, place it in an airtight jar, and take it with me on trips to show people when I tell this story and relive this life-changing experience. Share. Maybe publish it as a podcast or in learned print journals with illustrations. <laughs> as if I flushed that sucker goodbye. I'm here with Vincent Eaton, uh, the author of Drabblecast episode 25, The Worm Within, a very unsettling story about intestinal parasites we're going to get into a little here. Vincent does storytelling from his website. He says three ways. He's been writing since he was 10. He's been making movies since he was 13. So you'll come upon videos and digital stories he's made if you go to his website at vincenteaton.com or go on the internet at all, which I imagine our listeners on the internet right now do. He's been performing since he was 12, so you'll hear things he narrates in such forums, bits of acting and film, video and theater. Uh, And these are all things he's done naturally between 11 and 18, and it's what he does now all the time, living the dream. Uh, Welcome, Vincent. Hello there. This is Vincent. You are uh, in Belgium? I live in Brussels, Belgium, yeah. I've been here for many decades. I have uh, came over in my 20s, and uh, and I, well, I was working in broadcasting in Hollywood, Millie, uh, California. That's what my degree was in, in uh, television and radio operations engineering. I was working at ABC TV and then local station KCOP, and I thought this is what I wanted to do, write and direct my own stuff, and then I just found uh, there was uh, a lot of boredom in television because there's a lot of uh, hurry up and wait. And you watch about uh, four hours of your time, life go by, and then there's a half hour of a lot of activity, and then you're down again. And then if I wanted to write something, directors and then producers and then talent would have to put their fingertips on it, So at the uh, meaning write, rewrite it. So at the end, I was thinking, well, this sounds more like ad writing than anything else. So I decided to take a year off, and I traveled, uh, for, to, for, uh, I traveled Europe on a 150cc Lambretta motor scooter from the Highlands of Scotland to the islands of Greece. And I did that for a year, and that was so much fun that I decided after I came back and worked some more, this time in Las Vegas, that I'd uh, go back to Europe for a year or two or three just to develop my writing and not wait until I was 65 and retiring and say, gosh, I wish I would have taken that time. But I came back here and one thing led to another. You fall in love, you get a job, you turn around 20 years later and go, oh, this is my life, not out of parentheses. So yeah, that's where I am. Long answer to a short question. No, that's amazing. Um, that's and you, you come across so many adventures. I imagine whenever you do do something adventurous like that, like uh, the tapeworm incident, was that in the same trip? Oh uh, no, that came much later. Uh, not much later, about eight years later. But it was it took place in Brussels. No, uh, uh, Brussels was uh, was getting cozy with its restaurants after I came back. And uh, you, have you kind of switched to a bread guy since the incident with the tapeworm, more so than a meat guy. <laughs> Well, no, I still eat meat. I just don't, I certainly don't eat raw meat, which was that, well, that was my problem. And now when I see other friends or people when I'm at a table and they order that and I see them eating it and I said, I used to like that. And then I said, you want a bite? And so I sort of put my fork in and take a little bite between my teeth and then the memory comes flooding through and I take no more. So yeah, raw meat is out. I don't eat a lot of meat. It's more fish and uh, fruits and vegetables and nuts. And do not want that. Once once experienced, do not want a reoccurrence of that particular experience. Oh yeah, check is marked off the box on that bad boy. I mean, <laughs> you're done there. We just did an interview with um, Aaliyah Whiteley who wrote a story similar, uh, not similar in content, but similar in time to the one that we published of yours. Um, and, she, and we talked about you actually in the interview uh, oh. because at that point, one to start taking ourselves what we thought kind of is, is more serious. Uh, we, we were doing a lot of sophomoric humor and, and stuff like that. But as Aaliyah pointed out, uh, this your story was the first one that she had heard 
um, on the Drabblecast, and it made her want to submit to the market uh, because she was like, these guys get it. They get my brand of weird storytelling. Um, so it kind of made me rethink, you know, our, our vision at that point, too, of like, it's okay to go gross. And to, that's, I think, one of the things about your story is it's so blunt. You know, I mean, everybody poops. <laughs> it's like not, it's pointless to deny the fact, but the uh, compelling uh, way you describe it and the, the worm and the zigzag and stuff that throughout the years has always stuck with me and, and with Aaliyah. Uh, I mean, it's a moment in everyone's life at this point who's heard that story. Well, it was very nice to hear that somewhere I've inspired somebody to say, hey, yeah, I want to, I can do that and go along. That's, that's very edifying indeed. But uh, sometimes people have said you exaggerated. I exaggerated slightly, but everything happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, it was just, okay, you do the height and realism. I, uh, yeah, it happened to me, and it was not, it was a little bit not traumatic, just this is very, very weird. You said gross, and I said, it wasn't gross. This is what happened. It's our human body. It functions. I have a lot of English friends who are very prissy about this sort of thing. As soon as I go into bodily functions, they get all, their lips get very tight, and 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 their little, I think they clench their bottoms. They don't like to hear these things. But when I, I was, at, I would be at dinner, dinners, what have you, and suddenly I would say, oh, I have this tapeworm once, and I'd tell a little few details and I got the perfect reaction from everyone around the table. Oh God. <laughs> and then what? And I said, Oh, okay. I heard that about, it. so I practiced at different ta- dinner tables along, along my life. And everyone always went, had the same, as you said, gross out reaction. And they always had the, and then what? Yeah. And so I built this up and finally I said, I better write it down. And then, uh, because I do some acting and there's uh, various, uh, not not clubs here, little theater, cafe theaters, what have you. And I did this quite a few years ago after it happened. And to this day, I still have people coming up to me. God, what you said on that stage, I still remember it. And so then I actually, I was doing some digital storytelling. There's a digital storytelling uh, association in America. It's based in San Francisco, where you take up stills and what have you and, and things from your past and you actually make stories with it in short uh, the tools for storytelling of uh, audio audiovisual storytelling are now hands of the workers and oh. and so i was part of this and they said oh come to our festival in london and i came there then at the last night they said okay people now we're going to tell stories live anybody have any stories so people are telling stories and i said okay you want a story so i raised my hand got up did my story and then the guy who was running that had an online magazine and came up could you write that down for me and put on i want to publish it on my and so i put it into a form that is published and i think that's maybe where you came upon it yeah i mean it's so long ago that i, I can yeah. barely remember it's, we're almost at episode 400 and 10 years later and that was 25 <laughs> and that's to this day it's the only non-fiction story that we've ever run um, oh, yeah. Because, I mean, it just it still feels, I mean, like you mentioned, some people say, like, is that, is that exaggerated? And, of course, in storytelling, there's always aspects that are exaggerated to make it a you know lively story. I love your um, your summation of storytelling in general as, oh, gross, or is that real? Followed by, tell me more, you know, or what happened next? <laughs> that means you're doing it right, doesn't it? And it means you you got the right subject that grabs their imaginations. And, they, you know, it's, it's, it's not a horror film, but you're looking through your, you're looking at something through your fingers and going, no, I don't want to see that. And I can't look away. Yeah. So, yeah, when you when you set out to write that or when I'm, I was telling it on the stage and I heard all these people going, oh, no. And I go, hey, you're listening to it. I lived in what have you so it's good it's been everything from dinner conversation to uh, cafe theater routines to uh, a written story to your the voice uh, doing an audio visual yeah so it's 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 had all many permeations here it's funny because the tapeworm uh, I mean we all we all have so many different organisms living in us all the time that we don't think about and are not grossed out about but the tapeworm is this alien kind of thing that's so big and it's inside of you it just feels like a different kind of ball game than you know like the parasites under our eyes or that eat our skin in the night and things like that just to know that it's there feeding on what you're eating and it's like alien you know Ridley Scott kind of stuff Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what comes up. You just think you walk around with your body. Of course, they say that uh, in one inch of your gut, there's more bacteria than stars in the universe, which is really horrifying, uh, but seems to be a scientific fact. And so there's a lot of stuff uh, that we're busy living with. But when you have something so long and it's making little it's making itself known through the toilet bowl, as is recounted in the story, then you see evidence of the thing being with you and that's 
And that's when the realization comes, something's in me. It's alive. It's here. Yeah. It's not going away until I get over it. And that, that's a sort of panic where if you don't see it, you don't feel it, uh, then you just waltz, waltz through life. But as soon as it makes itself known that it's alive and it's yours, <laughs> it's a whole different perspective. And the way it's making itself known, you're talking about eggs, right, coming through the stool. So it's actually thriving, in a sense, inside of you and, and repopulating itself. Yeah, well, it it can set that up. Yeah, so that's it's it's so happy that what I was eating it was dropping every as I said in the, say in the story, two three days out would come a bit of bit of its white from the tail because it would meet the air, the air would make it shrivel and it would drop off. But then a few days later there'd be more because it continued growing because it was so happy in its little environment of my intestinal tract. Well, non-intestinal. It starts, it starts actually in the esophagus and goes all the way down to the stomach and the small and the large intestine. So that particular one was very, 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 very large. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> let's jump into it. I'm like, I'm both queasy and excited to do this. So. <laughs> Already. Oh, yes. yeah. Shout out for our listeners. Oh, gross. At appropriate points. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and then, of course, you'll follow that up with, tell me more what happened next, because it's a good story. Right, yes. <laughs> So I think this is one of the first sound effects I ever used when in a podcast. I, I mean, of course, we oh, okay. have a lot of stuff um, audio drama wise, but um, so yeah, years, how can you not start the story out with a, a toilet flushing, you know? Indeed, indeed. Yet, it was there where I first discovered an uninvited entity that wanted to call me home. I had finished doing what we all do at the toilet and stood, turned, and looked down. But first, a few research results regarding human behavior and waste products. You see, I love that pause and just you take a couple segues in this story that are just so uh, like you're we're all waiting for the worm and then uh, after you know, it's, hold on we'll get to that no 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 you've got to pace it I try to keep it away from your eyes I do try not to do it but I can't help it then there's the opposite type who actually bend down to study the stuff like a gypsy interpreting tea leaves Honey, I don't think it's we so should true. I mean, I didn't think about this before, but we all do examine our stool just like animals afterwards, you know, whether we like to admit it or not half the time. You got to check out whatever. It's just like dogs and cats. They're always looking. That's when dogs are smelling each other. They meet each other and they start smelling each other's butts. They're, it's like, what are you doing? Actually, they're smelling. They can actually smell what the dog has been eating in the last 48 hours. And they and from that, they can tell, ah, there's food. You know, back in the old days, it's going to be deer or a rabbit or whatever they've gotten uh, killed. And they smell what food is around in that area that perhaps is a good feeding place. And so this, they're, even though it's domesticated do dogs, this is coming back a long, long time ago. And so they stare at their, they smell their assholes. We look at our food. So, yeah, it's, I think it's just in creatures just to look, what am I leaving behind? And am I healthy? That's fascinating. I didn't know. I did not know that about dogs, and it totally makes sense. And it also explains why we do it uh, as a kind of an evolutionary. Oh, you 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 often sniff the uh, bottom of your friends that you meet. That's interesting. Yeah. Interesting social habits. <laughs> it definitely weeds out the winners from the losers, you know. <laughs> That's it. And who's really your friend? Yeah, you really get to know your friends when you're sniffing bottoms. The albino king sitting on top of his soft brown throne. Now it's time metaphor. to call my doctor and scream help really loud. This being Belgium, my place of residence, I made appropriate weird sounds in my crummy French, describing how some albino visitor had developed the habit of showing up unexpectedly every couple of days in my toilet bowl to say hi. Once seated in my doctor's office, I explained how these bits were thin and white, but how I felt fine otherwise. My doctor sported a nice little trimmed goatee, and as I finished my story, <laughs> his facial hair. what was his, uh, did he have kind of a cavalier attitude about this? Like, oh, it's another tapeworm situation, or was he kind of shocked, or what was his expression like? Oh, no, not shocked at all. He was a doctor, you know. People come to him with cancer and, uh, you know, broken bones and what have you, and here I was with my little tapeworm. It's like, oh, Jesus, this is not a problem for me, you silly little person. And like, I, I was rather anxious because I did not know what was happening. So, he, you know, he was quite amused, the bastard. <laughs> Well, yeah. I want empathy. <laughs> I want, demand empathy from you, sir. <laughs> Did you have a little bit of an inkling that it might be a worm or something whenever the little white things were showing up? The English term. I was young and innocent, Norm. 
I had no idea. I just knew something was not right with my stool. Something kept coming out. I didn't never entered my mind that it was a tapeworm. This I'm from America. I was born and raised in California. These things did not happen. Now I was in this ancient land of Brussels and Belgium, in Europe, and now I saw that uh, anything was possible. A thing I did not want, didn't want, no want. I wanted, I wanted my mommy. The doctor, no longer chuckling, asked me to please sit down so he could tell me how to get rid of it. I came crashing down to sit on the chair, blathering. How do I kill it? What's it take, Doc? Where's the bullet? Give me a pill. Do tricks. Make it go away. Yeah, from what I've read, um, and certainly in your story indicates this, it's pretty easy to kill these things. It's not a big deal at all, but um, the story ends up being more about the worm dead inside of you, in my perspective at least, than it is about it ever being alive, you know, because that's whenever you're pulling it out. Well, that's, that's exactly what I cover in the story. What have you? This guy didn't say, "Here's your, here, if a doctor says, here's your pill, that'll do it. Never explaining to me, and, I've, and me never thinking, that if it's going to die, it's a corpse. It's got to come out. It's not going to be absorbed by my body. And so that was, once it had actually di- died and I felt it, I thought, okay, that's it, the end of story. Just uh, it be- That became rather traumatic, too, to have this corpse sliding out my backside for minutes on end. As I pulled, I get it. we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, the doctor could have – I mean, that's maybe why he was chuckling. I mean, that was his little last oh, yes, you're, was, you're, uh, was like, You're going to have fun in a few days, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Give you no heads up whatsoever on what's in, what's in store. This beef tapeworm would fill all this out until it eventually ran out of intestine and would pop out saying, Whoa, air. <laughs> Can't go out there. There you go. My beef-based house guest had grown Pop so out. big, Ugh. so happy, so healthy, had filled me up so much that it now had to drop little hello bits of itself in the toilet bowl every few days just to let me know how things were going. Diagnosis? I was pregnant with a parasite that had started its life going moo. <laughs> you do kind of have a maternal so connection with this worm, in your language at least. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what you want to do. I mean, it didn't do it consciously saying, oh, okay, I must make it human. But I had, you know, it just came out, give it a personality, give it a motivation, give it a spiritual life, have it, have it, have, you know, wanting children, who knows, just go with it as though it's a living entity within me. And so to do that, you just give it human characteristics. And of course, and then it gets a little absurd. But that was the point as well, not just to say, okay, it's, it's awful. Here's the bits and pieces. No. Give it life because it felt alive to me, and it, as I say in the story, and it was part of me now. Yeah, that's so, that's so true about comedy in general. It seems like is that that absurdism, that twist, that this worm has ambitions. It's dropping little pieces to say how it's doing. Like it cares about you and the communication that you guys have established. Like that that level brings it from gross out story to like engaging, hilarious uh, world building. Yeah, we're in this together. Is the you know could be could be my interpretation. Whereas I found him an alien. I want to jump. Like you know, the the movies they have been making now. You know, the bad neighbor, the all oh, the the worst neighbor you could have, the worst mother-in-law, the worst father-in-law, and whatever. It's the worst tapeworm or less worst interior visitor possible. Who would not go away unless you killed him? It's like one of those Robert De Niro, Ben Stiller movies. Like this, this tapeworm. It's like Robert De Niro, and he's like this grumpy stepfather. There you go. That's part of the theme. That's part of the see how, what they do with these sort of things. Make somebody a challenge that you have to live with, and you can't just get rid of it just like that. Popping a pill and hoping that would be the end of everything. But it was only the beginning. Well, let's hope that the producers of Meet the Parents Four are listening, and, and they can hit you up for rights to the story that's all i want (laughs) slid it between my teeth slid it out clean let my tongue judge amazingly it wasn't disgusting so i took another forkful tasted judged and in went another okay doc thanks for the lesson but how do i get rid of it i was already entertaining dramatic fantasies I visualized the tapeworm securely hooked at the bottom of my throat, using the spiny little stabbing things they had, its mouth ajar, and every time I ate, it ate. I drank, it swallowed. When I got caught in the rain, it stayed dry. (laughs) I imagined starving it out. Not eat for two, three, four days. Then I would get a piece of raw steak, open my mouth, and dangle it just in front of my lips. 
The tapeworm, famished, would smell it, crawl up, peek out, see the meat, and, starved and, of course, unable to control its hunger, lunge out with its mouth open, and just as it was about to snatch the morsel of meat from my fingers, my teeth would snap shut like a mini guillotine <laughs> and wham. This is diatribe. See, something, something like that is where it, it that came from. Okay, an exaggeration, but that came from the uh, performance I was doing on stage with that because I needed visuals and not just standing there. And so that was one of the visuals that I would turn sideways to the audience, hold my hand out, and open up my mouth and as though I was dangling meat as though it was coming out, and then, then I'd crash my teeth down. I'd get the visuals, so that's how this sort of thing makes its way into the story. You ever done this with shadow puppets? That'd be pretty cool too, you know, like a big backdrop behind you that's got like little stick tapeworms and stuff. be fun. Norm, I leave that ambition to you. Fulfill. <laughs> go always forth, looking. my son. All right, all right. You heard it here, folks. for the shadow puppets. I just love how it's so much more dramatic in your. Uh, in, in, to, it ends up being just a pill, and the thing dies. But you've got these like huge visions of like what you're going to have to do in order to kill this hooked, fanged beast living inside your gullet. Well, yeah, you have to make it dramatic. You have to say you're having. I'm. I'm now at this point. I'm having fun telling the story because the more details I can gross people out with. Oh, you know, like trying to starve it out and then guillotining its head with my uh, teeth and what have you. This just adds a little more dramatic uh, variation and also a little bit more of oh my. God. God, that's gross. Could he really? Would that really happen? Because you you say things as though, but that's ridiculous, uh, and yet to leave a little doubt in the back of the mind going, I wonder if that's possible. Could that tapeworm really be alive like that? And then, and these you throw these little ideas out in the imagination of the listener, and that just gives them a whole visual within their mind that engages them and grosses them out and also, you know, brings them further into the story because uh, you throw just enough information out so they can build the image in their mind. Yeah. And then they're really part of it. Absolutely. And you do it in kind of a passing fashion sometimes, too, that works so well, I think. Like biting into a worm and the juice is filling your mouth. It's just like, but you just say it so casually and quickly. It's part of the whole spiel. Yeah, that's what you got to do. You just lay it out there and go on, and there and people are still, don't give me another visual. I'm still with this. Oh, my God. It's, keep up, folks. Keep up. Here's the next thing. Here's the next thing. And you've got to give them, uh, the audience just enough details. To engage them and not too much to do all the work for them and then move on to the next one and not wait too, too long. It's the visuals, the visuals that uh, that this story particularly gives that uh, that lives in the uh, listener's mind. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I, I'll, I'll never forget. I mean, I think it's coming up in a bit here. The visual of um, running down the street and the cats and the dogs playing with it, you know, and you've got to... <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. just belly laughed when yeah, I that's really that. letting let my imagination run wild with me in a very literal way. <laughs> and created a pile of tissues. Then, cautiously, like descending into a dangerous lair, I reached down, went under, found me, wiped me, grabbed the dangling entity. Oh, this is, here it begins. <laughs> oh, yeah. And something long slithered out giving a distinctly zigzagging back-and-forth sensation within my intestines. That got so many comments, the, the zigzag, like you this just you nailed something so visceral inside of all of us, like the feeling of being able to manipulate something that's stretching throughout your body. Oh, God, it, it haunts me to this day. Oh, yeah, and just a few minutes before that, when I had the first, went down for the first wipe, that was remarkable in my life, and I thought in the story as well, and for the first time I wiped, and it all didn't come away, because that's, you know, we're so used to, okay, this is, this is how it goes, and to find something hanging out you that shouldn't be there that that, that sends shivers you really i really did want to run away but there was no way that was going to happen yeah. Uh, yes. but yeah the zigzagging people to this day who said no you can't feel anything and i'm just saying dudes i did not make that up it was <laughs> unless my imagination was really going crazy. i felt within my intestines because it's so long just a slight feeling of something slipping through my intestines and yeah and that's and then the paddock that sets in with me, ah, I've got to get away from this. Where is yeah, my mommy? Where's something? something? What have you? And there's nothing you could do except go through it. Pull, slide, pull, slide. I got into a rhythm like someone on a chain gang. Pull, slide. Condemned to break rocks and smooth, repetitious movements. No whack crack, just pull, slide. I started moaning an old Negro spiritual, pulling and sliding endlessly. Oh, Lord, bring me home. 
Settle me on the bosom of my old ma. <laughs> Five minutes of this. <laughs> Ten. Maybe 15. Was it really like 15 minutes of, of just like pull slide or is that a slight exaggeration? Slight, but no, I was I was in there a long time. Certainly 10 minutes. I mean, I was taking it out, but I was having dogs. My mind was whizzing. How else can I solve this? How else could I solve this than the reality that's in front of me and I can't get away? So my mind was whizzing from the deed at hand as well as trying to find solutions that were not available to me. It's funny how like applicable that is to so many other things that aren't tapeworm related, you know, like a speeding ticket getting pulled over or any kind of situation where you feel slightly trapped and, and vulnerable and you're thinking, how do I get out of this? How, what can I do? What is, what are my options? And it's the same thing, my, but yes. butts and tapeworms. Yeah, that, that's it's the it's when when humans in an impossible situation or a difficult situation, uh, there's a thing within us to say, how can I escape by doing something else? What BS can I say? Uh, uh, where can I run? What can I hide? You know, that's 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 you know, that's typical of so much of human behavior. And so that's what my little character role, uh, what I was doing, sitting on the toilet bowl. So I kept sitting, almost sobbing. The routine reinstated itself. Toilet paper, stifling sobs, reaching down, pulling it out, hand over hand, the zigzag feeling deep in my guts. So you took breaks. I mean, was, this is a long Oh, I did, yes. I sat up straight just to take breathing because you know, my heart was pounding and I just went, <gasps> okay, calm down, calm down, calm down, calm down. I had points I had to just calm myself down. And plus it was, you know, quite a workout reaching down there and what have you because I wasn't going from behind. So I was reaching down in there and I didn't want my hands to touch anything. So at this point in the story, I want everyone to know poor me. Okay, okay. Now we can continue. There's some good pro tips in there. And if you at home have a tape where I'm on how to, successfully remove it and what angle to come at. Are they? Well, I don't know. You just kind of said reach them from behind and make sure you pace yourself. Yeah, yeah, no, you had to go You had to go forward. You couldn't, oh, you couldn't forward, do it from sorry. behind. Yeah, you had to go underneath like you were pulling a chain out of your butt. As I said, no, uh, there's no way to – otherwise you were – That's such yeah. a great metaphor. It's like you're pulling a chain out of your butt because, I mean, a metaphor is relating to something that we relate to, and it's just so still alien to us. Oh, okay, it's like that feeling. I forgot. Yes. It lay tangled in itself seemingly harmless, and I had a momentary urge of scientific inquiry, wondering whether I should scoop it out with my bare hands, place it in an airtight jar, and take it with me on trips to show people when I tell this story and relive this life-changing experience. Share. Maybe publish it as a podcast with illustrations. I love that. It all came to pass, even the illustration part. You know, we had, we had uh, great yes, art from this did. thing that somebody drew for us. And of course, we got to end on the uh, toilet flush, too. Yes. Circular, you know, their journey begins. Well, the thing about, again, at the very end when I said, should I reach my hands? And th that totally came from uh, my presenting it on stage. And that got the biggest reaction of all when I looked at the audience and I said, I was going to flush or should I stick my hands in? And I made the gesture. And then I started walking off stage saying, and bring it and show it and whatever. And the whole audience, no, 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 as though I was going to go get it off stage. What happened? I had a wonderful reaction of the whole audience. Don't, no, he's going to go off stage. He actually did it. He kept it. That's how, I, that's how it ended in the story as well. But it was a very, very, let us say, satisfactory uh, to end the story like that and have the whole audience so engaged, saying, begging me not to come out, not to go off stage and get the worm and show it to them. <laughs> There's so many aspects of this that would work so well live. I'd, I'd love to see if you ever do a video recording of it or anything. Uh, let me know. I'd love, I'm sure our listeners would love to see it too because there are so many angles like that. So you did it cross. You did cross your mind uh, apparently in the story to to preserve it in a jar. Uh, I mean that would have crossed my mind too. But to be like, wow, that's it's like it's dead, but you live this adventure with you, and you kind of want it to live on in a sense. And certainly it has in the podcast form and in storytelling. But uh, uh, you didn't, I guess, keep the worm. You flushed it, and you said goodbye like a lover, going off in the sunset. It was not a visual reminder I wanted anywhere in my life. <laughs> I had had it. I had experienced it. I didn't need to say. I've got to take a look and have a conversation with my good old friend, the tapeworm, on top of a bookshelf or something. No, that was not going to be in my life. I had enough impact, emotional impact, emotional upset, trauma, trauma that we've hit upon the word <laughs> that I did not want that particular bugger. So that, yeah, as I say in the story, I hit that, I flushed that sucker goodbye and uh, I let somebody else uh, save theirs and put it in as a scientific uh, experiment in some 
university or high school and saying, this is a tapeworm, but not from my butt. Well, some relationships you can still be, not my butt, (laughs) not my butt, sir. (laughs) Some relationships you can still be friends afterwards and some, you just got to have that clear break, you know, and uh, if only it were so easy as pushing a lever on a toilet. Hey, it had a good life. I fed (laughs) it well for a while. It saw some of the world as I walked around and uh, then it had to come to an end. It's just the natural course of things. I was not going to have this guy hanging around with me. Guy, why do we? But yeah, I think of him as a guy, a male rather than a female, hanging around with me for the rest of whatever. No, I had to get along with my life. And and so I feel like half a person sometimes, but no, basically I I got rid of it. And I'm happy that it's gone. Yeah, I mean, at some point, these relationships become toxic, don't they? You know, and, <laughs> it began toxic, it continued <laughs> toxic, and there was no way to do it except for an abrupt goodbye. And I've been uh, parasite-free ever since, as far as I know. Yeah, of the significant variety, you know. <laughs> Thought you were almost going to say your significant other. No, oh. <laughs> wasn't I wouldn't presume quite that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that that would be a uh, not territory I would tread, <laughs> not knowing your you, significant others. I'm sure. Cool. Yeah. Well, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you about uh, all this stuff, Vincent. This is uh, this is everything I hoped and dreamed it would be. I think I, I know everything about tapeworms. I think I'll ever need to know. I say that now <laughs> until I have a tapeworm, and certainly there will be uh, questions arising. And if anybody's going to get one, it'll be probably be me. I just go around eating scraps of meat like all the time. So. <laughs> Oh, Norm, Norm, That's stop what it, people don't say. Do it. Stop don't eating meat. Down there. Don't eat roadkill. I feel like a guy. Don't go down to the basement. <laughs> but they always do, don't they? They secretly, always we, do. We, we secretly, we want them to go down to the basement so bad. And, well, I've got a, I've got a <laughs> raccoon to eat real quick that I just found on the side of Interstate 70, so <laughs> I'm gonna have to run here. But uh, nothing it's like awesome. squashed raccoon to end your day. Yum yum. It is. It is. It's Thursday. That's raccoon day for me, at least. Yum yum. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks so much, Vince. It's been great talking to you. It's been great. Okay. Thanks a lot, Norm. Ciao ciao. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.